In Her Words is a sub-series from Something Private, featuring lesser-known stories of women who've survived unspeakable pains and triumphed. Women who succeed despite and against all odds. This is their story. This episode was recorded over Zoom during the circuit breaker in Singapore when COVID-19 hit and is now repurposed into a podcast episode. I'm Deborah and I'm 26 years old this year. I've moved out from my parents' house in February 2017. As of today, I've been living alone outside of my parents' house for around three years now. I think what was the catalyst to me moving out was because my father and I would get into arguments and he would be violent, physically violent sometimes. And on the day that I moved out, it was quite a violent incident where I had to go to the hospital. And after that, I just never went back home again. I didn't exactly plan to move out that quickly because in February, Actually, I moved out two days just before the start of my first job after graduation. I had very little savings left after university. All that was secondary to my mental and physical well-being at the point in time. I just knew that I had to get out. I'm very different in character compared to the rest of my family. So I would say that they are all kind of introverted and I'm very extroverted and I'm very confrontational whereas they are the kinds that would like to sweep it under the rug, pretend nothing ever happened and just move on with it. As I grew older, I think I started to think more about myself, who I am and stuff like that. I started growing my identity and I realised that a lot of things that I was doing didn't make sense and I only did it because of family. For example, like going to church or like visiting our grandmother when we had a, a few abusive aunts. Like they were just verbally abusive and everything. So a lot of these things, I realized slowly that it didn't make sense. And if I were given a choice, I wouldn't be doing all this. So I started to question. I started to like question authority, I would say. So when my dad would say stupid things like, oh, stop playing games, you're going to get virus on the computer. And then I would be like, uh, there are like, thousands and millions of gamers around the world do all their computers have viruses and stuff like that. So I just started like slowly retorting these sentences and then after a while I think he got very fed up about it because some things he just wasn't willing to compromise and but some things I just feel like it, it made sense to me and I was trying to get a rational uh, logical explanation from him which he couldn't provide. So I think that he felt like he was losing control over his daughter and he, he didn't know who I was becoming because I was changing and he didn't know what was happening. All he knew was that I was suddenly becoming more and more rebellious, talking back more and more. And I think he got very frustrated. Like he just wanted me to be in line and his method of doing so was just to hit me. So um, the first few times he hit me, I think it shocked everybody. And I was shocked too. So I was like, whoa, I'm like, I, I think it was like when I was 10, so, you know, you get hit as a child and then like you go to primary school and it's fine and everything. And suddenly when I was 10, like I started getting hit again. For a while it stopped because I think he sought the counsel of authorities in church, like all the elders and pastors. And yeah, so he, he realised that it's a bad thing to do. But also as I continued growing to my teenage years, I got more brazen and more vocal. So I would even say like, you don't hear how stupid you are. Like I really didn't care. Like, I was also very frustrated and I would say offensive things like you're really very stupid like why is your IQ so low how am I how am I so much smarter than you that kind of stuff and I think 
he was very angry, offended, and also very like didn't know what to do. So it became more and more regular, like the beatings. And I don't think my family dealt with it in a very healthy way because the day after I got hit, my father would just be like, "Anyway, I'm sorry," and then I would just look away. I don't say anything, and then everything just happens as per usual, as per normal. But obviously, deep down, I still felt like, "What is going on?" You know, like why. Am I getting hit? Even what did I say that was wrong? Okay, obviously I realized that when calling him stupid and stuff like that is is disrespectful and wrong. But I felt like my core point and my core message was rationally sound, which he didn't understand or he just refused to see. The day after he hit me again, he was like, "I'm sorry, okay." And I was like, "Can you please stop saying sorry? Because it makes me feel even worse." Because after you say sorry, you just go and hit me again. It's like I might as well murder someone. Oh, sorry. Next day, just continue doing it. You know. So on the day that I moved out, I remember it was actually six February, twenty seventeen. We were arguing about alcohol because he actually picked me and my mom and my brother. We were on vacation. We we came back to the airport and. I didn't bring my credit cards, so I borrowed money from my mom to buy alcohol from duty free store. You know, like a lot of us do. And then when he picked us up, he saw the bottles, and he was very angry because he's very like anti alcohol and stuff. He was like, "Why would you take money from us? You just want money from us just to indulge in all your vices." And at that point in time, I had started smoking as well. So for him, it was like I think he was just very angry at that point in time, and I just kept arguing back and stuff like that, and it just like escalated. So okay, so my father like punched me in the eye, and I flew backwards and landed on my back. So that was the two injuries, and from where I landed, I couldn't get up, which was when I called the police, and they had to check whether I had actually cracked any spine or you know like something happened to the bones and stuff like that. I also had a black eye, which was quite insane. Cause remember, I told you I'm starting my new job in two days. I don't want to be the new girl with a black eye, right? So actually, the scene was when the police came, right? And then my parents explained it to them, and then um the police actually asked my father, "Do you hit your daughter?" And he was like, "You know, children when they're naughty, you need to hit them, what?" And I was like, "What the fuck? Sorry, can I curse?" <laughs> like, cause I was like. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, I have a black eye. You give a black eye to a daughter who buys alcohol from duty free store. Hearing all this, right? Hearing how fake they can be in front of the police, and realizing that no matter who I reach out to, as long as it's like a family member that can also contact my parents, they will just paint this picture to make sure like everything seems normal. Like they want to conform to this image that okay, yeah, we're fine. You know, every family has their own fights and stuff like that, but. Um, we're fine. We're fine. She's just a rebellious teenager, overreacting. So that made me even angrier as well. After the police left, right, my mom just took my luggage and she was like, "Okay, let's go home." I was like, "Are you kidding me? Let's go home? What?" <laughs> I couldn't even like stand properly because my back was hurt. And then I said, "I'm never going home ever." And she just shouted at me, "Fine, then don't ever come home." Then she just left. I think she was angry, but she didn't realize that I meant what I said. So only two days later, when I started my job, and then she realized I'm really not coming home. She kept spamming me. She kept spam calling me on WhatsApp. She was like, "Stop playing, come home now." And I had to block her because I was having my orientation at work, and she was just spamming me like crazy. So I think at that point in time, everybody's emotions were so high, and then they just like so tense and everything, and they just thought it was one of those other incidents where I got hit, and I'll lash out and be angry. But then the next day, we can all just move on from it. They didn't realize that something was different that day. Nobody else can look out for me except for myself. 
like I have to help myself and consider my own interests and well-being. So um, I realized that if I don't do something about it, nobody's really going to help me. It's a bit sad to say, but at the end of the day, I think everybody has their own selfish interests. My mom, she was crying when I called the police because she said she can't believe that I would call the police on my own family members. I, I think they felt quite betrayed by me. And at the same time, I felt quite betrayed because I was like, if, you're not, if you guys are not going to care whether I live or die, I need to protect myself. And this is the only way I know how to. So it was also the first time that I went to the hospital. It's so funny because I came back from holiday, so I had already had a luggage packed. So I had all my necessities and everything. So it was just like, okay, bring, bring the luggage here and then, okay, let's go somewhere and see. Yeah, then after that, then I got all my stuff. Yeah. My best friend, she's a scholar in NUS and she has a hostel, which the scholarship pays for, but she doesn't live in. So she let me stay over there and I stayed for free, thanks to her scholarship and everything. Um, like I told you, I wasn't really earning yet. My first paycheck only came in in March. So I really had to save money. And the best part about the hostel is that you get like breakfast and dinner free from the canteen. Nitty gritty details, but it was really important to me because I still, even though like my whole world was changing, I still had to get to work on Monday. <laughs> and yeah, I just focus at one step at a time. Like right now, I need to wash my clothes for my holiday. I need to get some rest first of all. And then I need to figure out how to get to work from here because I have no idea. Like, oh my god, NUS is crazy. And then they started teaching me the shuttle bus schedules, where you wait for the bus, stuff like that. Yeah. I stayed from February to June. At that point in time, I was scrambling to find a place. And I just focused on the Northeast area because at that point in time, my office was in the Northeast. And I managed to find a house in Lorong Chuan for around like $600. So I met up with my landlady, my now, uh, current landlady. And from the moment I met her, I already knew that we were going to hit it off because she requested for lunch with me. And I think that was very, very interesting because, I mean, when you look for a tenant, do you go for lunch with them? I don't know. This is like my second house I'm renting from. But she really like took the time and she was like, uh, okay, so just want to understand what's like your job, um, what do you do now? And when she asked me like, why why am I moving out of my house? And I said, um, there are some family issues and I was ready to get into it. And she was like, okay, stop. I don't need to know. You can tell me when you're really ready. Like, I don't need it to assess you as a tenant. After I viewed her house and everything, um, she 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 gave me a hug, which, was, which took me quite a back out. And then she was like, I already feel like you belong here. That's what she said. And after I moved in, she hugged me again and she said, welcome to the family, Deborah. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is where I want to stay. Okay, so I moved in December. And then around February was like Chinese New Year, right? So she realized that I wasn't going out visiting or like I didn't um, go back home or I was just at home the whole holidays. And so she she asked me, uh, she said, um, I hope you don't find this offensive, but as a Chinese mother, maybe you can consider going home to your family and stuff like that. I told her like, yeah, I understand. Um, I'm not offended. So here's what actually happened. And then I told the whole story and she was like, okay, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Um, you, you need to take time to recover and everything. So I think from that day also, she felt more of a responsibility for me. Yeah, she, she, she's really quite like a motherly figure that is not too intrusive. We're taking a short break. 
Something Private is a podcast produced by WeFM. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to get notified the second a new episode drops every Tuesday. Have a thought or comment that you'd like to share? Drop us a message on Instagram at Something Private Pod. That's at Something Private Pod. P O D. Or email us at nicole at somethingprivate.fm. Now back to the episode. So I moved out for three years, but the first time I met my mother after moving out, my graduation ceremony was around August and September. That was the first time I saw her after moving out. And I remember she just like started breaking down at my ceremony. She was crying and like, hugging me and asking me to go home and stuff and like I was I was a bit angry because this was like such a great day for me but she's here ruin, kind of ruining it so I just didn't contact her for a while until like I think around Christmas period where she asked whether she could just have uh, lunch with me so when I met her I think she was more calm she thought things through she like I, I think she thought about what she was going to say so she asked a few things like um what could I have done and stuff like that and like she asked what will your ideal living situation be like and stuff like that so we just had a good chat it was a bit awkward because at the end I think she still started to like um, get a bit emotional which made me a bit like I felt a bit like upset also uh, so I was a bit wary of meeting her for a while but slowly like she she was more insistent on meeting up for for yeah, just like, oh, hey, I wanna, you want to meet up for dinner? Are you free today? And stuff like that. So I decided to like just man up, like, just go for it. And then we just started talking more and more. And I think it's better this way because, yeah, I think it's better when we have this distance between us and we don't feel so, like, we're not rallying each other up all the time to actually talk things through. And she explained to me that um, she and my dad are having marriage counselling right now. Because she realised that the family dynamics are quite messed up because of her and my dad. She said that her approach would be to start there and then maybe she can try to build a better family environment. I was super close to my brother. It kind of felt like both of us against the world because he was asking the same questions that I was asking just that he didn't want to do it out loud to my parents because he didn't want to cause any conflict. So he will come to my room and talk about this. And I guess that's why we got closer because he said he didn't want to go, for example, he said he didn't want to go his whole life without drinking alcohol. And I was like, yeah, I feel like that's quite understandable, but but that will kill you if you talk to him about it and stuff like that. So we did fantasize about like moving out together after um, where everybody's ready. We can move out together and live by ourselves. And after I moved out so abruptly and things like and just like left him, he messaged me and asked if I'm really not coming home and I said I can't and he I think it was hard for him because on one hand he knew that I had to do what I had to do because he saw the way that I was getting hit so often and he was there that day when I when I got the black eye. On the other hand, he has to go about his daily life now. He is living in the house with my mom and my dad. And he has no one else to turn to now. Suddenly, his only companion at home is gone. And he feels very abandoned, very betrayed. So I think he, he struggled with it for a while. And then his uh, defense mechanism to it is just to pretend he doesn't have a sister anymore. So obviously that hurt me, but I kind of could understand where he was coming from. 
recently after my my grandmother got diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I sent him of course he blocked me everywhere. So I used another phone number and I sent him a very long WhatsApp message. Because I knew I get one message before I get blocked, you know what I mean? So I had to think things through. And then I typed out a very long message about how I I cannot pretend that I don't have a family. Even though he's pretending that he doesn't have a sister. So I explained like, rationally, this is what I I want to happen. Because I want to... Um, I have a brother. I cannot pretend that I don't have a brother. I have a grandmother with Alzheimer's. And I want to be able to visit her and like interact with her and yeah so I just and I apologize as well because I did I acknowledged that when I moved out I wasn't thinking of anything I didn't even think about my own welfare and how much less about his so I think he was quite hurt also and I said yeah I think that was it was very wrong of me to not consider how you dealt with that transition and even though I was going through a very tough time like trying to transition from moving out and working full-time, my first full-time job, I didn't think about how that would affect me. So recently, he decided to respond to me. He said like, he was used to being let down by my parents, but he never expected that I would be the one to let him down. And for him, like, it made him very guarded. Okay, sorry, we are... No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you <watched it> <laughs> I really wanted to like do this to me and watch <laughs> Okay. Yeah, because like my brother is like my favorite person in the world. Like yeah, he's still, yeah. He's still my favorite person. I, I named him. It's so funny because um yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh yeah. I I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> So the way he talked to me, the way he messaged me was very mature. He says stuff like, I understand completely. Thanks for mentioning it. Regardless, uh, I feel this way. I, I have built up my walls and I'm very guarded now. I hope you understand because I may not be as strong as you and I cannot let anyone let me down again. I told him like, okay, I feel like that's a bad way to approach life because I can guarantee you right now, 100%, somebody will let you down in life again. It's just about who you are willing to let close to you, who you are willing to be vulnerable to, and trust that they won't hurt you. And even if they do, that that maybe that wasn't their intention. Their intention wasn't like malicious or everything. And he did point out like, yeah, it's like how he... He always like felt like I would never let him down, but I did, and it was a big blow to him. Um, and I said, yeah, but that's that's life, right? Like, I'm very sure that even if we work things out and I move home, right, it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be times when my mom like disappoints me, lets me down, and there's going to be times where I piss people off. But I think what's important is that who you want to do your life with, you know, who you want to live your life with. I've lived three years of it alone with my friends and everything. And I realized like it's something that I want to 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 mend. So I said goodnight. And he was like, Good night. If you have any other things to say, you can you can text me. I will reply you within twenty I'll try to reply you within twenty-four hours. <laughs> so I was like, okay, sure. But I never really yeah, after a while I didn't text for a while because it, it takes a lot, you know, to get into that space to start this kind of conversation. But recently we had a casual conversation about how 
I ordered catering over to their house for Mother's Day. So he just helped me liars with it, like help me choose the menu. He said, oh, I think mom likes this better. And I was like, okay, I'll give your number. Can you collect it when they ring the doorbell? Stuff like that. Keep it a surprise. So I make sure she don't buy dinner, that kind of thing. Thinking about my next move now, I'm not sure, but optimistic about, about the future. Every weekend, like my mom will come over and deliver food, deliver stuff like, like insect repellent and stuff like that. Like she just bought a whole bottle of repellent and passed it to me because she saw a lot of bites on my arm that day. Just like stuff like that, right? And um, one day, uh, my dad texted me like, I'm here, can you come out? And I was like, what does? My mom is not here. So usually when they come, right, um, my father would drive my mother. Then he will park at the roadside and then she will come to the gate and pass me stuff. And then we chat for like one, two minutes and then she'll go off that kind. So that day, my dad texted me. And then when I went down, he parked the car and he was at the gate. And I was like, okay, don't think, just go. Don't think, just go. And then I just went there, right? And my dad was like, hey, dad, uh, here's food for you. You can heat it up in the microwave for your oven. Do you need anything else? Then I was just like, no. Then he was like, and then he said, because the previous time I gave them a cheesecake as well and some other muffins and stuff, then he just said, thanks for the cheesecake and the muffins. I really like them. The muffins I heat up is very nice like that. I was like, oh, okay, welcome. And then I just left. And like, whoa, that, that was the first time I had a conversation with my dad since I left home. And it was just something simple like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I need a minute again. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. I never really like processed it and then I talked to you. It's like very intense. <laughs> I think we all agreed that it's not a good thing to rush me moving back home. Cause I think we all slowly realized that okay, maybe that that it's not really that environment wasn't somewhere I really belonged. And right now the goal is not to get me to conform to the environment or to get them to conform to my environment. We have to create a whole new environment. And I think the basis of this has to be respect for each other, maybe love and consideration for each other as well, to understand that um, in the place that we live in, we need to all be comfortable and we need to be comfortable not only with ourselves, but with everyone around us. So right now, I think um, my relationship with all of my family members is definitely improving. Yeah, so my mom has like slowly stopped being so hysterical. I've spoken to my brother the first time in three years. And I actually spoke to my dad face to face and everything. And I didn't feel any like resentment or hatred or like it was a bit of, of fear, but not anything else. Because just feel like, oh, okay, well, oh, I don't know what's happening and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's good. When people imagine living by themselves and then they think about the pros and the cons, under the cons column, right, everybody would think about the practical issues like, oh, okay, I have to clean my own room, for example, I have to pay every month, I have to live with a new environment. They don't think about the small everyday details like, how do I get my next meal? Like, where am I going to get my next meal from? Who am I going to talk to every day? When I come home from work, I'm, it's just me. <laughs> Who am I going to tell about my, what my boss did today that was so stupid or stuff like that? Like, nobody knows what's going on. It seems as if, like, there's no, there's no right time to eat lunch anymore, no right time to eat dinner, no right time to sleep, uh, no curfew for me to come home to and stuff like that. So suddenly it's like, whoa, all these choices and everything. Um, some days when I was feeling down, 
and nobody replies me and it spiraled. I think I, quite, I spiraled quite badly to the point where when I talked to one of my friends, I just cried and said like, I feel like if I died in that hostel room in NUS, nobody would even know because nobody even knows how to take the shuttle bus to this stupid hall and on this stupid floor and, and, and yeah, I just, it was very irrational for a while and I think they, they scolded me because they were like, okay, look, we have been very supportive and I think this is your own battle to fight, they told me and they were like, we'll still be here but I need to slowly accept that like, this is a new environment which I didn't realise was the difficult part about discovering your own identity how you react to your own emotions, what triggers each emotion, that was part of it, which I didn't think, think through. I didn't expect this and I didn't think like, it would be so hard. To me, I thought that would just be like hanging out with everybody, going out every day, seeing what I like. But this was the hard part of it, which I don't think anybody knew was coming. Yeah. Um, something very apparent to me right now is that I'm living with my landlady and when she asks for a compromise, I'm more willing more than willing to do so so that we will live in a in a harmonious environment. And then got that got me thinking like why can't I do that at home? Um it's a bit weird how I'm so ready to compromise to live with her, but at home I'm more resistant to it. And I feel I feel like it's quite strange. I'm still unpacking that. And I um maybe I do take for granted that like in a sense, I know that my parents will never kick me out. Or like, um, maybe I'm just, uh, I feel entitled to rage and lash out because I've been, I've been hit before, physically hit before. So, so yeah, I feel like I realise more that about my part to play, lah, about creating a better environment. Because all along, I thought that the environment I had at home was hostile because of my parents. But this made me realise that I also have a part to play in creating hostile environments. Like, nobody can create a whole environment by themselves. You know, everybody contributes to this whole synergy, this whole environment. And yeah, I need to think about myself. Uh, you know. I feel very strongly for people who are in this situation right now, considering whether they should move out or not. Because I feel, I understand the need to be away from the parents. If you are in like, immediate danger and you really fear for your life um there is such a thing as a protection order and even though you live under the same house it's something that i looked up quite a few times like even though you live under the same house you can apply for it and the next time they touch you right you will be protected i feel like that is for very pressing issues for people who really are fearful for their lives if you if you need to move out and you cannot afford to do so I think this is a long-term process. You, even though I made my decision in the heat of the moment, right? I was ready for the long run. Like I knew I'm not going to go back anytime soon. And at the same time, you need to consider the long-term implications of this. Will your friend let you stay there for the long-term? Long-term, not just like six months, meaning like a year or two. What are you going to do about your finances? Are you still schooling? What are all the bills that your parents are currently paying for that you need to pay for yourself now? That was a shock to me also. What insurance? Who the heck? Like, yeah, I didn't know it cost so much and everything. You're not going to go home for quite a while now. You need to be prepared. You need to have your your support system, I would say. You need to have a planner. And you might not have it right away, but you need to you need to know what you're gonna do next. I hope that nobody really like makes the same mistake that I did and idealize the situation 
where you keep, you keep thinking it's fun. It's not like living in a hostel where you have all your friends and then like every day you just go out with them, come home, uh, order food together and stuff like that. You are alone now, okay? You're alone. Oh, like I think half the time, right, I want to tell my past self to just chill. Like just, just relax, okay? Like I'm very proud of like my confidence in a sense where I don't want to sound cocky, but I feel like I can depend on myself. Like I know that whatever situation you throw at me, right, I just know that I'll make up, make my way out of it. Even like when I lost my job and everything, everybody was so worried for me. But deep down, I know that I'm gonna be fine. You know that kind of confidence that I get. I lost it for a while there when I was so depressed that um nobody cared about me. That whole period where I felt like like I was very lonely. I wish I could tell myself like, can you please chill? Like from six months, six months from now, you're gonna be fine. It was a very dark period for me la, and I don't think I ever felt that low before. I, I just want to tell myself like, can you chill? You got this. Yeah, so that, that's just what I wanted to say. Just chill, you got this. <laughs>